I've already decided the thing that I'm going to miss the most one day, hopefully 25 years in the future. That far out is getting to pray with you. What a pleasure. We turn to God's Word, and we turn to it so that it will interpret our lives. We're looking at this story that has to do with the prostitute Rahab, but I want to remind you that this is your story and my story. It is our stories. And we're going to see by the end of it how closely we are connected to this story. But I want to remind you today how much we need stories. How much we need to remember the stories of old that we might remember who we are and remember who God is. John Calvin wasn't the one who came up with that concept. It was God who communicates himself through stories that we might remember. Because even now you're distracted by a portion of your day, a narrative of your life that you are thinking to yourself, this is my story and this is what I'm living in. But every time we return to the scripture and as we return to Joshua, as we return to the Old Testament every fall, we return to God's story and to being reminded of who he is and what he has done among humanity that his name would be glorified. That's why we turn back to this story and this story about Rahab. Now look, all of us have relatives in our life about whom we tell stories, right? And we all have that relative that all of the kids want to hear the story about and every adult cringes and says, oh no, not that relative. And if we're lucky, it's usually a relative that's already passed away, right? So we can at least feel freer to talk about those relatives' stories. And mine would have to be my Uncle R.G. He was a man who lived in a trailer with loaded guns, and, and all of the family thought that he was crazy. But for some reason, I loved him and he loved me. And I could fill your day up with stories about him. But the moment we start talking about him in our family, all of the older family go, oh, no, not another story about him. That's not really who we are. Right? But here we turn to this story. And as much as we want it to be about something else, this story is about a prostitute named Rahab. A prostitute named Rahab who is in our family. And it's an awesome story. And I want you to hear this story. Children, I want you to hear it as if you heard it for the first time. It is an amazing story that is the first story about the conquest of the promised land. But what's amazing about this story is that the very first story is about salvation. And it's about saving one of the Canaanites who was supposed to have been conquered, right? It's this story about Rahab. I want you to see that this story comes in three parts for us today. The first part is the context and the surprise. That's going to be verses 1 through 7. The second part is going to be the reasons that Rahab has for the actions that she takes. And the last is going to be Rahab's request. Okay, I want us to see those things. The first one is kind of you know, the surprise of this story. Verses 1 through 7. I want you to see Rahab's reasons after that. And then finally, I want you to hear Rahab's request. And again, it is to the end that you and I would identify with this, our relative of the faith, amazed at the God who continues to make himself known. So let's look at the context and see the surprise that's before us. Joshua 2.1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies. You go, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
And you're exactly right. Joshua was one of two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who Moses had sent out. But there were 12 then to look into the promised land. And then the people were afraid of what they saw. They told Moses and the people, there's no way that we can go forward. And so the wandering in the desert happened for 40 years. You remember this, right? Well, Joshua is on the precipice of crossing the Jordan and going into the promised land. And so he sends two spies to Jericho. And those two spies go to a prostitute's house. And right away, I hope your eyes got big. And I hope you said, what are they doing going to a prostitute's house? There is great reason for them to go to a prostitute's house. At a prostitute's house, they could find themselves hidden and they didn't have to make covenant with anyone who would host them or entertain them. They could find themselves in the house of the prostitute, Rahab, and after spying and spending the night there, they could still go out and then come back and destroy the city as they were going to do, right? As God had promised to give them the city. And that's why they stayed at Rahab's house. But, as you might know, when they walked into the city, someone saw them and said, you're not one of us. What are you doing here? And the word got all the way to the king. And the king sent word to Rahab and said, there are two Israelites, those ones who are staying across the Jordan. They've come into our city to spy it out, turn them over to us. And suddenly, the surprise Rahab turns and she had already heard that they were coming. She had already sent the men to the roof. Quickly, go up to the roof. Hide among the flax that's up there drying in order. Get underneath it so no one sees you. And then she turns and she speaks this to the men the king had sent. She says in verse 4, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers went out. The surprise was that these men had gone into Rahab's brothel into her inn, into her home, thinking that they could hide. And yet what they found was that Rahab protected them. Rahab, this Canaanite woman who lived in Jericho, this city was about to be destroyed, protected these men. What were Rahab's reasons? If this was the context and, and the surprise is that these guys who thought they were hidden would, were then protected by the very one that they thought was the enemy. Let's look at verses 9, 10, and 11 and see the reasons why. The reasons why Rahab protected them. This says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, 
4. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Wow. These are the words that came out of Rahab's mouth. This Canaanite prostitute, this woman who lived in a city that was known for its sacrificing of its own children, who was known for the cultic practices of abusing women in religious ceremonies, who maybe even Rahab herself had experienced such horrific life experiences. And yet she says to the men, I know something. And because of what I know, I have done what I've done. The things that are interesting about this is she talks about what she knows. Verse 9 says, I know that Yahweh has given you this land. If you open up your Bible and look on page 178, you're going to see that it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord. And what that stands for is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And she said, I've been watching, I've been listening, and I have seen that Yahweh has given you this land. It's apparent to us that this is what has happened. She says there in verse 9 that the hearts of all the people, listen to it as she says it, and that fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. An amazing concept, right? That because of what they had heard had happened from the stopping of the Red Sea and the division of that sea and the crushing of the Egyptians to the defeat of Sihon and Og, the Amorite kings who lived just to their east, they understood that God was at work and their hearts melted away. This concept of melting is the same idea as melting and, and trembling. They were scared. People were getting out of the way of the Israelites because it was obvious that God was bringing them in. And then she uses an interesting phrase here, a phrase that we're going to see more in Joshua. And so we'll touch on it, but we'll see it again. It says it here in verse 10. It says that we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And you can look up that note. It's a unique phrase that's set in the context of Joshua and the conquest of the land that God has said, those whom you will overthrow are devoted to me. They are sacred. You are not to gain from them, but you are to destroy them. That's a difficult word. That's a really difficult reality that is happening here. But the interesting thing is that Rahab recognized it. She recognized in the manner in which Shehan and Og had been destroyed as kings that there was divine fiat to what the Israelites were doing. God had already told his people through Abraham in Genesis that when the sin of the people of Canaan became great enough that he was going to remove them from the land. He was going to do that so that his people would have a place of purity to worship, but also because of the heinousness of their sin. Again, just two examples would have been child sacrifice and temple prostitution. But the oppression was great. It was overwhelming. And God 
being God, having the right to judge His creation, human beings, women and men, created in His image, determines that it is time to move Sihon and Og out. And even Rahab recognized the way in which you destroyed them. They were devoted to destruction. And then from that, we hear her proclaim what she believes. Look in verse 11 again. Verse 11 simply says this, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab uses a phrase that is used over and over in Exodus and Deuteronomy that communicates that God is God and there is no other in his place. He is supreme and to him we owe our allegiance as human beings and to him we are responsible. This is our story. This is who we are. And this is the God whom we worship. And these are the reasons why Rahab surprised the spies from Israel and hid them. This is what she knew as she deduced the actions that had been communicated to her. Isn't it amazing that the very actions that God took to begin to move His people into the promised land were actions that worked evangelistically to tell of who He was that people might repent. That Rahab, whose heart melted, would not be like Shehan's heart and Og's heart, that when they melted, they fought up in defiance and came against the Israelites. You can go and read it in Numbers 21 if you want to. And how because they rose up and instead of letting them pass through, which is what Joshua asked of them, that they didn't and there was an enormous battle. Rather, Moses asked it of them. There was an enormous battle where Shehan and Og were destroyed. But Rahab saw it and said, something is happening. And that's why she surprised these guys. We see that this is the context and the surprise. These are the reasons for Rahab's surprise. But now I want you to see Rahab's request. And her request is in these verses 12 and following, okay? Listen to it. Again, page 179. Now then, Rahab speaking, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is amazing. Rahab doesn't even know the character of Yahweh yet. One of the reasons why we know that she doesn't even know the character of Yahweh yet is because she resorts to lying to protect these guys, right? 
she hides them up on the roof, and then she goes, no, these guys have gone away. They've headed toward the Jordan, and so go chase after them. Christian ethicists have tied ourselves in knots trying to figure out what do we do with this lie, right? And there are typically three ways that you look at it. You go, it's just the realism of living in a broken world. That sometimes there's going to be, you know, commandments from God, don't lie and, and don't kill. And those things come into conflict and you just got to pick one or the other. And so it's just sin and it's the way that it goes. Sometimes you just have to sin one way to keep from sinning another way. But the critique of that goes, no, that can't be possible because if Jesus has been tempted in every way that we have and yet without sin, then surely Jesus would have come up with a context like this and, 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 and Jesus didn't sin, so it can't be that. Or how about the hierarchy of absolutes, right? That, that in this way it was more absolutely imperative to protect the lives of these spies than it was to lie and so... Because of that hierarchy, then there's no responsibility for the lie. It's not a sin at all. But the problem comes, who creates the hierarchy? The problem exists still that says, wait a minute, Romans tells us that the ends don't justify the means. We don't sin so that grace can keep abounding. And Paul also writes the Corinthians and tells them, when you're tempted, there's always a way out. And so you scratch your head and you go, well, what's going on? And maybe one of the most satisfying solution for me anyway is that these are not in contrast. But actually, both of these commands to protect human life and to not lie are there before us and it casts us on the very character of who God is. Who is He? And the fact that Rahab lied doesn't take away the fact that she's commended for her faith the fact that she protected and, and helped these guys escape. But neither in Scripture is her lie commended, right? And as Calvin would say, he would say that you see Rahab, and even though she lied, it doesn't mean she can't be commended for her faith that was demonstrated at the same time. And here we see that Rahab is just learning about who God is. Listen to her request. She turned to these guys in verse 12 and she has simply said to them, look, I want to ask you something. Please, by the name of your God. And so she's saying, I'm tying you to your God. By the name of your God, treat me with the covenant loyalty which is what that word kindness means, treat me with the oath and the promise that I've treated you with. I have promised to protect you and I have protected you. And now please, treat me with that same covenant loyalty. That's what she asked them. She says, give me what I have given to you. And Rahab has no idea when she asks them to swear by their God, Yahweh, that they will do that, what she is getting into. Because as Rahab confesses to her knowledge of Yahweh and then pleads their covenant loyalty, she is brought into relationship with a God that her wildest dreams wouldn't believe is the way that he is. 
A God who by choice of his own ties himself to his people by that same word, that same covenant loyalty. Imagine this prostitute who for the sake of her God had been forced in temple worship to acts that crushed her as a human being who when she saw the destruction coming, thought I'd rather be with whatever's coming than with what has been. Please treat me with the same kindness with which I've treated you. Let's bind ourselves to each other. And the men said, good, we'll do it. Don't tell anybody what we're about to do and we will do it. And she says, I won't. And so she lowers them out of her window with the rope and they lower down and the guys get to the ground and she says, go to the hills. The opposite way, hide for three days because they'll come back and when they come back, it'll be safe. You loop around and then go home. And they said, we'll do it. Tie the scarlet rope in your window so we'll remember. And it looks in this verse, of verse 19 or 21 rather, that it happened immediately. Then she sent them away and they departed and she's tied the scarlet cord into the window. These guys got back to Joshua. They explained to Joshua what had happened. You can read ahead and see in Joshua 6 that when the walls of Jericho fell down, by the miraculous power of God, only by the shouts of his people, Rahab's house did not fall. And no one in her house died. The God in whom Rahab threw herself into the arms of for protection is the God whom the psalmist says that God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46. Who says that when he utters his voice, the earth melts. Not just the heart of the people, but the earth melts. That very word of God became flesh in Christ. And that very Jesus went to whom? To prostitutes and to sinners, right? And you think about the very first person in Jesus' conquest who he makes himself known to is the woman at the well. The woman at the well who was caught up in sexual sin. And he makes himself known to her. The amazing thing is that Jesus is the one who comes and he uncovers for us our idolatry. The Old Testament explains our idolatry as prostitution. Now, Rahab wasn't just an idolater. She worshipped Baal. She, she would have been honest enough about that. She was a real prostitute. The interesting thing is, is when Rahab is mentioned in both Hebrews and James, commended as a hero of the faith for the way in which she welcomed the spies, she said that they said in James that her faith was actually justified by the way in which she acted toward the spies, Right? neither of which commend her lying, but both of which commend her faith and her action 
Guess what she's called? Rahab the prostitute. And don't you think after all that, you drop the prostitute? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't this be enough to, to drop the prostitute already? Do you think Rahab is going, look, drop the prostitute already. Can't I just be Rahab? But Rahab's prostitution is held before us so we don't have to deny our own. So that we don't have to deny it. But to remember that even in conquest, we worship a God who loves prostitutes. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. Jesus is surrounded by prostitutes. Those who worship something else and commit to gain life from something other than him. Where's that hand of your heart? Is that you? Can you raise it? Because Rahab's story is our story. Jesus is surrounded in prostitutes in more way than one. Do you want to know how? Because the only other place that Rahab is mentioned is in Matthew 1.5. Listen to this verse. Matthew 1.5, the genealogy of Jesus. And this is what it says. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. From whom you and I know would come the eternal King Jesus. Amazing. You stop and you go, God has incorporated Canaanite prostitutes into his lineage. Well, he's also incorporated you and me. We, his brothers and sisters. You see, when God's holiness comes to bear, as it did on Rahab, Rahab who saw these amazing acts of God and saw that Canaan was going to be devoted to destruction because God the judge had the right to do it. She saw the holiness of God and she threw herself at his mercy. Not far from the quote that's in front of you that says when God's holiness and his love come home in magnificent and real and affecting ways, we are moved to worship him. And the amazing thing is, is that we begin to have new hope about those who prostitute themselves like you and me and those of our friends who we long to tell about the glories of Christ. This story about Rahab is big. I hope you don't forget it. I hope you go home and talk about it. And if there are any questions, email me. If you want to, I'd love to eat lunch with you. But I want to remember 
And I want us to remember this story is about a God who has made himself known that even in conquest, there are people who will come to faith in him. And that conquest continues, as we know, in our lives, called to love the world, to take up our cross and follow him. Let's pray.